I'm excited to be in John chapter 16. We're going to glance a little bit in John chapter 14. We're going to glance a little in John 15 and in John 16 as we do a bit of a part two on the Holy Spirit and the sending of the Comforter. And I'm going to pray real quick as we get into it. Lord, help us, God. I pray that we would be able to just have open hearts, open minds, open ears to you to speak to us about the Holy Spirit and give us that open heart and open hands to receive the Holy Spirit today. Lord, as there are so many beautiful children, just the next generation in this family park service. Uh, Lord, I, I just pray parents would be able to just enjoy their kids being there, making a little noise. It's okay. And that they would just be able to hear and receive and, and just even with hands full um, this morning, um, that they would hear from you today and, and just have a fresh filling from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be speaking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, a very well-named theologian, Schnackenberg, uh, said that in the 20th century, a consciousness of the presence of the Spirit has, to a very, in a very great sense, disappeared even within the believing community. It's possible to say that the only person who would understand words about the Spirit is the one who has already experienced the presence of the Spirit. When we talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit uh, or the theology of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about what's called pneumatology, okay? Pneuma, starting with a P, pneuma, um, means wind or breath or spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And then ology or logos uh, speaks of um, a word or a matter of something. So we're speaking of the matter of the spirit. The spirit has often been called the forgotten God or the forgotten person of the Trinity. I remember when I was in uh, Nebraska, my grandpa took us when I was newly married to his old stomping grounds and where our uh, tribe, the Omaha Indians are from. Uh, we have deep connections with the Omaha over there. We were in Bancroft and we visited an old, old childhood friend of my grandfather who was a, a dying Korean war veteran. And I remember telling him, I'm so thankful that you went and served our country and fought and gave so much with your friends in the Korean war. And he goes, don't call it the Korean War. Call it the Forgotten War. I just feel like all of my generation was forgotten in what we gave. And that just grieved my heart. I remember that to this day. And I think that we grieve the Lord by forgetting the third person of the Trinity as well. The Holy Spirit. As you look at church history, there were so many disputes within the early church as heretics and false teachers arose that Christological debates happened and so much emphasis was put on who Jesus is that sometimes the Holy Spirit was kind of left in the back. And so after many councils of church history where people would fight for the truth of who Jesus is, they would develop these creeds and these statements of faith that would drive home awesome truth about who Jesus is. And then at the end of what we even know as the Apostles' Creed, it just simply says, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm just like, well, okay. And many of you, I think, would say, oh, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but you don't even know what that means. Uh, the Nicene Creed, when speaking about the Trinity, just simply says that we believe and in the Holy Spirit. It's also just this very quick tag at the end. And then some other non-Nicene creeds uh, actually give more towards the Holy Spirit. And it's believed it was because the emphasis of those creeds wasn't so much on who Jesus was, because that wasn't the issue. And so as we, as 2021 Christians, want to grow in the knowledge of God, guys, we need to grow in knowing who the Holy Spirit is. And not just knowing who he is, but letting him have a place and a work in our lives. I think that we owe a lot to our knowledge of the Holy Spirit in 2021 uh, and our experience of the Holy Spirit. We owe a lot to the 
Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement. Recently, um, I was intrigued by the Calvary Chapel history and how in Calvary Chapel, when Chuck Smith started preaching to the hippies and the surfers down in Costa Mesa, there was a young um, kind of hippie guy that was a little bit out there. His name was Lonnie Frisbee. And he ended up being a part of the evangelism with Chuck Smith and having a relationship with Chuck Smith. And as they were both serving and preaching down in Huntington Beach and Newport Beach and with Costa Mesa, uh, you know, Lonnie, uh, he, he ended up giving more emphasis towards kind of a lot of the ecstatic and dramatic of the Holy Spirit. Things that we might say, that's a little off and unscriptural and biblical. And so there was a kind of parting there where Lonnie went another direction and became part of the vineyard movement where Calvary kind of loving the Holy Spirit and the charismatics work of the Spirit, wanting to emphasize especially the word with the Spirit so we didn't get kind of off on odd tangents. And, and, you know, even though there were some, if you know much about it all, Lonnie kind of went some odd and off and sinful directions, but there's many that believe he ended up before he died coming back to Jesus. But I think that there's something that we can say is a blessing of the Lonnie Frisbees in our life and the Pentecostals and the Charismatics, um, because they're open to the truth of the, who, who the Holy Spirit is. They're open to the person of the Spirit. And a lot of times we can be so anchored in the word that we're not open to maybe what the spirit is doing. And it's been said that the spirit and the word are actually friends and that they go together. In fact, uh, as we love the word, the word is our seatbelt as charismatics. Here at Calvary Chapel, we are charismatics with a seatbelt. We're tethered to the word and what the word has to say about the Holy Spirit. And it's been said that the word without the spirit and you'll dry up the spirit without the word and you'll blow up, but the spirit and the word you'll grow up. And so here at Calvary, here in Primeville today, we want to say, all right, Lord, we love the word. We've been going through the word. We apply the word. Your word sanctifies us. Your word is truth. But Lord, do a work of Pentecost in our church. Do a work of charismata and charisma and the pouring out of the gifts in our church. You guys have heard me talk a lot about D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist from Chicago in the late 1800s. Moody would always emphasize the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in his Bible colleges, in his schools, in his conferences called the Northfield Conferences. He would passionately exhort all attendees of these conferences to seek the Holy Spirit's filling in their life. And D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, uh, believed that the church in general gave way too little attention to the Holy Spirit's filling in their life. And he asserted that if anyone wanted to be effective in ministry, he must receive empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Are you here today and you want to be plugged into the church? You want to be serving in all the ways that God has for you? Ephesians tells us that every one of us in this church are to do the work of a ministry, do the work of the ministry. And we could do that in our own strength. We'll talk about that in a second. And it'll be impotent. Or we could do it in his strength and be filled with the power for ministry. D.L. Moody wrote a book called Secret Power about the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. He wrote it back in 1881. And he said, I quote, that the Holy Spirit has been too much overlooked as though he were not practical. And the result is a lack of power and testimony and work. I was on my way down a couple years ago to a conference in California to speak at a youth conference, the NorCal Youth Conference, where they asked me to preach on the Holy Spirit for a weekend. And I read that book, Secret Power, and I was impressed that in the book, Moody writes about how he took a trip, it was called The Great Trip from Chicago to the Sacramento Valley. And as he traveled and made that journey, as he crossed the Sierra Nevadas and went down in the Sacramento Valley, he noticed how one field of fruit would be budding and blossoming and producing a great harvest 
Well, the very next field over was obviously struggling for life. The difference, he wrote, the healthy field had been regularly saturated with water, while the others had neglected such diligent watering. Moody's application is that we can't depend upon our neighbor's saturation with the Spirit of God producing fruit in our lives. We must come to the fountain of living water and receive the waters of life for ourselves. And in the Gospel of John, John has recorded a lot about the Holy Spirit. One place was in John chapter 7, where he says, If anyone thirsts, he can come to me, and I'll give him fountains and torrents of living water, rising up within them, pouring out and overflowing. It was just this beautiful thing in John chapter 7, where Jesus stood up on the last day, the great day of the feast, And he says, if any one of you thirsts, come to me and I'll give you living water pouring out of you into abundant life. And then it says at the end of that section, this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom had not been given yet, because Jesus has not yet been glorified. Is there anyone here today? It was about four weeks ago that in John 14, we talked about this. That there may be people here who feel dry in their Christianity. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody, maybe not right now, you just say, there's been a time in my life where I felt dry as a Christian, like like a dry field. And we know what that looks like today, don't we? This this um, drought that we're going through, just dry field. Nobody, I think Casey wrote, wrote, me and Casey. Casey, you and me. Oh, Shannon only has one arm. She has to be careful on what she, there, yeah, there you go. Uh, anybody here just like, man, there's got to be more than this. I mean, is this really what Christianity is? Is this really what's changed the world? Is this really what all the hubbub was about with the early church and the apostles and people willing to go to their death? Is this what it is? Chris Tomlin wrote it, right? Or Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin when they said, there must be more than this. There must be more than this. And I would submit to you that there is more than this. There is more than where you're at in your Christianity, but that you're in a dry place, a dry and weary land, and you're in need of a fresh, maybe even an initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. So when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we speak of of refreshing that comes from the throne of God. Not only do we speak of refreshment, But we speak of power. We speak of power when we speak of the Holy Spirit. Just this last month, we did a five-week marriage series, a marriage intensive. And one of the first things we looked at in the scriptures, if we're going to have a healthy marriage where we're walking in the roles that God has designed for us, and we do it well, and we do it to where marriage is like that well-watered garden, then the first thing we need to realize is that husbands can't do it on their own. Wives can't do it on their own. And in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, parents can't do it on their own. Employers can't do it on their own. Employees can't do it on their own. Church members can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. We need power from outside of ourselves. And so in the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3 tell us all that Jesus has done for us in the gospel. All that he's purchased for us. How he's redeemed us from our sin. He's brought us out of darkness. Made us children of light. How he's given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And in light of what he's done for us, now we move forward in that. As husbands loving our wives as Christ loved the church. As wives submitting to their husbands as to the Lord. As parents not provoking their children to wrath, but bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. As children obeying our parents, for this is right. As employers loving on your employees. And so on, and all these relationships I've already discussed. But in that book of Ephesians, before it talks about those relationships that we have with one another... It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, 
that the temptation may be to get drunk with wine. Maybe I can do it better if I can just take the edge off. And it says, anybody recognize that? It's definitely a dodge, I'll tell you that. Loud and obnoxious. Okay, anyways. <laughs> Cummins did a great thing, though. You know, they, they, they got something going for them. Anyways. Instead of trying to make it on your own and try to, you know, a wine will get me through this day. A beer will get me through this day. A quick shot of Jack will get me through this day. No, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. And the fruit of being filled with the Spirit is wives that will be able to submit to their husbands in the way that God has them to. Husbands that will lay down their lives sacrificially for their wives as God has called them to. Parents that will not provoke their children to wrath, but help instruct them in the ways of the Lord, and so on and so forth. When we speak of the Holy Spirit, we speak of power. Power to be able to live out these relationships. And maybe in your relationship, it feels like a dry and weary land. Maybe in your relationships, it feels like you don't have power to live it out. This week, I heard a story of a man that got a job as a woodcutter. And as he... Uh, turned in uh, for his first day of work. He met his boss, just a big, rugged, manly man with flannel, you know, and looked like the brawny dude, you know. And the man, the boss gave the guy the saw and said, all right, head on out there and start cutting down some trees. And the guy goes out and works all day and chips and chops away and comes back. And the boss said, how many trees did you chop down today? And the guy said, I chopped down three trees today. And he just threw his saw down and laid down. It was so exhausted. And the boss says, I hate to tell you, man, but you got to do better than that. Three trees in a day. Like tomorrow, man, tomorrow, you got to do better than that or I'm going to have to let you go. So the next day, guy goes out with new resolve and I'm really going to white knuckle this. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to impress my boss. And he chips and he chops away again and comes back at the end of the day, throws a saw down, lays down in front of his boss. Guy says, well, how many did you do today? So they did five trees today, boss. He goes, dude, you should have like 30 trees down. What is your problem? Come here. I'm going to show you how it's done. Takes him out to the forest and takes the saw. And and the guy goes, what in the world is that noise? (laughs) All day long, no power. And when we're trying to live this life as husbands, fathers, Christians, employees, employers, kids, parents, But we're trying to do it on our own, in our own strength, by our own knowledge, by the ways of the world, by little tidbits we get from the Today Show or The View or from the Oprah's or the Dr. Phil's and just worldly wisdom. And we're not appealing to the power and the presence of the spirit. We're like the guy out there that's just chipping and chopping away with a chainsaw that's not running. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. It's pathetic. It's humiliating. And it's really more detrimental than good. Remember a couple of things that we've learned in the last couple of weeks about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is a person. In Chuck Smith's book called Living Water, where he speaks about the Holy Spirit, uh, he, he, I think it's the first chapter, is that it's called Personality Plus. And he just goes through all the ways that the Holy Spirit is not a force, but that he's a person. One way that we err when we talk about the Holy Spirit is when we call the Holy Spirit an it. An it. And you might catch yourself sometimes when you're referring to the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit and you call him an it. I don't know about you, but there was a movie when I was growing up called It. And it was not good. No wonder nobody wants the Holy Spirit. It's on me! You know, like dragging you under the concrete sidewalk or whatever, you know. Come down here. I've got the gifts of the Spirit for you. No, I'm good. Right? We don't want it. Okay? He is a a person, not an impersonal force or an it. He's not, you know, Star Wars uh, type force. Something like duct tape that has a dark side and a light side and holds the galaxies together. It's not Jesus. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a person. He has his own identity. He has his own individuality. He has a mind and a will and feeling. He can be grieved. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. A force isn't grieved. Gravity isn't grieved. Dave Barry, who was an American columnist and humorist, wrote, I recently had my annual physical examination, which I get once every seven years. And when the nurse weighed me, I was shocked to discover how much stronger the Earth's gravitational pull has become since 1990. Gravity just grieves us sometimes. But gravity cannot be grieved. It's just a force. It's just a force of nature. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 4.30. Barnes writes, Do not act toward the Holy Spirit in a manner which would produce pain in the bosom of a friend who loves you. Don't act towards the Holy Spirit in a way that would cause pain. Did you know that the Holy Spirit can be resisted? Acts chapter 7, 51. The Holy Spirit has a job description. We'll study that today in John 16. Do you know the Holy Spirit can be insulted? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. You can't insult electricity. It'll shock you right back. The Holy Spirit dwells with us. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is called the helper in John. Jesus can only be in one place at a time, but the Holy Spirit can dwell in every single one of us. It's 16 different times in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is revealed as a person. Back in AD 256, a man named Arian thought the Holy Spirit was just a force, not God but just a power. And he went on to say that Jesus wasn't God. He was just the son of God. And he created what was known as the Arian heresy. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, Ananias and Sapphira had filled their heart, Satan had filled their heart, to lie to the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts chapter 5. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then in a couple of verses later, it says, You have not lied to men, but to God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not a ghost. He's not the ghost of Jesus, I should say. As the old expression, the Holy Ghost, might make us think. He's not the spirit or the ghost of Jesus that follows Jesus around. He says things in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, as the early church ministered to the Lord with fasting and prayer, the Holy Spirit said, now separate for me Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. So the Holy Spirit says things. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, the Holy Spirit has knowledge. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. The Holy Spirit has a mind, Romans 8, 27. He loves us, Romans 15, 30. We can insult him. I mentioned that earlier. He leads us and guides us. He prays for us in Romans chapter 8, 26 through 27. He makes intercession for the saints. When you study the Trinity, you see that the Holy Spirit is distinct or different from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Father's not the Son. The Father's not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's not the... That's like exponents or something like that. Okay? But they are distinct, different persons within the Godhead. The Holy Spirit has attributes of deity. And... We are going to get into our text here in just a minute, but I just felt as I was studying how many have neglected knowledge of the Holy Spirit and don't lean and rely on him and ask for him in their daily lives. This is for me too. And so I want to help you guys not be afraid of the Holy Spirit, but have a relationship with him. So here's some attributes that are given to deity that are given to the Holy Spirit. First thing is eternality, etern, eternality, eternality. E I'm trying to say it in a different emphasis, but that's all I got. Eternality. 
personality, okay? All right. Psalm 139, four through seven says, and this is just the seven, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Or first Corinthians two. Oh, I hopped to the wrong one. I'm sorry. That's, that's a different attribute. Back to eternality. Eter. Okay. Hebrews 9.14 calls him the eternal spirit. That's what I was trying to say, eternal. You know, in my senior year of high school, I was like, I don't need a lot of these extra English classes. I'm going to go hang out in the welding shop and make rodeo panels. I did that. I haven't welded in 20 years now, so you see how that's paid off. 1 Corinthians 2.10 tells us how the Holy Spirit is omniscient. So he's eternal. He's omniscient. Anybody know what omniscient means? Omniscient. Helps, right? It means all-knowing. Okay? All-knowing. So uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says... The spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And in 11, it says, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. He's omniscient. That's an attribute that belongs to God. And I did quote it earlier, Psalm 139, 4 through 7, with ending with 7. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? That shows omnipresent omnipresent. It means he's everywhere. He's holy. Romans 1, 4 says he's the spirit of holiness. The Holy Spirit is love. Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the spirit who's been given to us. He has a relationship with Jesus in that he anointed Jesus for power for ministry. The Holy Spirit is involved in the ministry of Jesus from beginning to end. It's interesting to see how intimately connected the life and ministry with Jesus and the Holy Spirit are. Jesus did not begin his ministry on earth until after his baptism, he was anointed with the Spirit, which in that moment, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and came upon Jesus. I remember getting in an argument with a guy in our church and I said, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove upon Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's a dove. No, he's not a dove. He came down like a dove. It says dove, it's dove. I'm like, I don't want to have to drop you right now. I'm just kidding. So little thing called it a metaphor. Okay. Like a dove. Okay. Just came on down. And then gave Jesus power to obey in the temptation in the wilderness and then to minister in Galilee immediately afterward. So Jesus, in order to carry out the ministry that God had called him to, he needed to be anointed by the Holy Spirit and empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself says in Matthew 12, 28, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. How did Jesus cast out demons? By the spirit of God. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Peter's preaching says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with them. Jesus quotes from Isaiah in Luke chapter four saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind. And the ministry of the Messiah is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. The continuation of the ministry of Jesus after his death through Christians is attributed to the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to see that now as we move on. I want you to just hop to John 14. We're going to look at a couple verses in 14. A couple verses in 15. 
couple verses in 16. How am I out on my... Oh, we have plenty of time, you guys. Looking over my head. Are you guys there? Yeah. You guys, we're going to be back at the church. We're going to have the verses flying up on the screen. You're going to forget your Bible every week? Like, I don't even need it at Calvary Chapel. Bring your Bibles to church, people. Come on. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father. By the way, this is all in the same conversation. John chapter 13 through 17 is called the upper room ministry. So Jesus has been in the upper room with his disciples. So it's not like a bunch of random stuff. Like Jesus is conversing with the disciples. And so kind of early on as he's talking, he says in verse 16, I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he he may abide with you forever. Remember, another helper means another of the same kind. Our first helper is Jesus. And then Jesus says, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send another of the same kind, just like me to be with you guys. Okay. Verse 17 says, he's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's the helper. He's the comforter. He will be in us and with us. And then in John 14, 26, but the helper, so just go a few verses to verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father sends in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all the things that I've said to you. And so the Holy Spirit has a ministry to Christians. He helps us. He's in us. He takes us out of an orphan state so that we're comforted. In verse 26, again, he's called the helper. He's our instructor. And as F.F. Bruce said, he's our remembrancer and interpreter. Anybody here have a bad memory? And especially when it comes to things of God. And I know I talk to people sometimes and they go, doesn't it say somewhere in the good book? You know? And it's like, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't have to be like, I think it says somewhere. It's like, you can be like, I know, I'm going to know the reference with the little numbers and the colon thingy, you know, but I can tell you the good book, here's what it says. In fact, the Holy Spirit's going to help me to quote it uh, with authority so that I can speak from the book. He's our remembrancer and he's our interpreter. William Lane Craig says, Jesus was, if you will, a charismatic. He was a man who depended upon and was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on his ministry. If our Lord needed to depend upon the power and filling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to carry out his ministry, how much more do we need daily to depend upon the Holy Spirit as we walk through this life? And so William Lane Craig said, so it's encouraging to me, I think, as a Christian, that we see that Jesus himself drew upon and depended upon the Holy Spirit in the same way that we need to. So Jesus in the upper room says, I've depended upon the Spirit, and now you, the disciples, will need the Holy Spirit. St. Basil the Great, gotta love that name, Basil. Basil of Caesarea, or St. Basil the Great, was the Bishop of Caesarea, Mazaka in Cappadocia, Asia Minor. St. Basil was an influential theologian who supported the Nicene Creed and opposed the heresies of the early Christian church, fighting against both Arianism and followers of Apollinaris of Laodicea. So St. Basil, well-respected Christian from the early church, writes this. What does the Holy Spirit do? His works are ineffable in majesty and innumerable in quantity. How can we even ponder what extent beyond the ages? What did he do before creation began? How great are the graces he showered on creation? What power will he wield in the age to come? 
He existed. He pre-existed. He coexisted with the Father and the Son before the ages. Even if you can imagine anything beyond the ages, you will discover that the Spirit is further beyond. The Holy Spirit has always been and always will be. And I think St. Basil's point is, he's here now to help us here and now. He was at creation in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, hovering over the face of the waters. And then said, let there be light. He's responsible for divine revelation from the scripture, revealing God to us. He's responsible for the inspiration of the scripture in 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. Holy men of God wrote the Bible as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so you see that work of the Holy Spirit happening that Jesus said would happen to the disciples as those disciples and apostles would write out scripture. Sounds like a lot of fun happening back there. Like those kids are just like crazy. It's going to be a wake up call next week when they're down in those little classrooms downstairs. (laughs) Right? The Holy Spirit brings the regeneration towards Christians. He dwells in you, Jesus says, and will be with you. We just read it in John 14. The power of the Holy Spirit is manifested in the quickening of souls to spiritual life. Anybody here remember the day that you were quickened to spiritual life by the Holy Spirit? Maybe today's that day for you. You just you just came here today and it's just mundane. It, you just your heart is stone cold towards the things of God. You don't feel like you're drawing near to God as you came to church today. In fact, you feel like you're going away from God. You just feel dead concerning things to God. I just wonder if the Lord would be knocking on the door of your heart, asking to be let in. If the Lord could awaken you today so that you could be born of the spirit today. Charles Spurgeon said, if the Holy Spirit were gone, we should relapse into spiritual death and the church would become a morgue. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. I just was thinking of the sermon today and I was just like, the Holy Spirit. Like that's a great title. That's a great clincher. That's a great topic. This is, yes, the Holy Spirit. Without him, our church would be dead and a morgue. You know what I've been hearing about our church lately? Lots of new people come into Calvary. No one's calling our church a morgue. You know what I've been hearing about our church? Praise God. Our church is full of life. Our church is full of new life. And I'll tell you guys, that is something that is outside of me, outside of our leadership team, outside of our elders, outside of our, like, guys, we got nothing. Like, we're not, like, we can't lean on our own power. We are just completely reliant on him and his grace and his power and his mercy and for daily a work of the Holy Spirit in our church. And guess who gets all the glory? Like, it's all him. Like, we're like, we don't even know what we're doing around here. And it kind of shows. You guys think it's funny because it's true. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary to make everything we do be alive. And I'm not just talking about church stuff. Too much of religion is done as if it were performed by a robot or ground off, Charles Spurgeon said. And as we get ready to go in, back into the church, we've got a you know work day on Saturday. We've got children's ministry and call to ministry. We've got needs within the church. And one thing that Charles Spurgeon wrote about was that in our ministry and in our serving, we cannot be doing it like robots or like people who are ground off by machinery, Spurgeon said. 
Nowadays, men care little about heart and soul. They only look at outward performances. Why I hear, this is Spurgeon, 1880s. Why I hear they've now invented a machine which talks. Though surely there was talk enough without this addition to the band of prattlers. We can preach as machines. We can pray as machines. And we can teach Sunday school as machines, Spurgeon said. Men can give mechanically and come to the Lord's table mechanically. Yes, and we ourselves shall do so unless the Spirit of God is with us. Husbands can love their wives mechanically. Wives can submit to their husbands mechanically. Children can be parented mechanically and obey mechanically. Employers can show up and write a check for their employees mechanically. Employees can show up and lean on the shovel mechanically. But you guys, the Lord hasn't called us to just do stuff mechanically. He's called us to do things vibrantly, powerfully, effectively. To bring change and to implode within this world so that souls would know there's forgiveness from death and sin. And that there's the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And Spurgeon said, closing with this long quote of his, I'm quite certain that a church which is devoid of life cannot be the means of life giving to dead sinners around it. No, everything acts after its kind and we must have a living church for living work. So much about the Holy Spirit. 1526, John 1526. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send you from the father, the spirit of truth proceeds from the father. He will testify of me. He's called the helper. He's called the spirit of truth. He's the testifier. And what is the job description of the Holy Spirit? He's always making much of Jesus. You guys, if you ever go to a church where the emphasis is on what I can get and experience from something the Holy Spirit does, then it's missed the mark. The number one emphasis of the Holy Spirit is testifying of Jesus, that we would make much of Jesus. Verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Going into chapter 16, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And so kind of continuing on the conversation in the upper room, Jesus says, you're going to need the Holy Spirit because you're going to go into a time of persecution. And that time of persecution came rapidly, you guys. And the greatest fear that we should have about being persecuted is not any pain or torment or even the loss of our own lives. Verse one says the greatest fear that we ought to have that persecution would bring is that it might make apostates out of us, that it might make us fall away from the faith. Verse one says these things I've been telling you and warning you about so that you wouldn't be made to stumble and fall away. Because the persecution is coming. And just like Cynthia said, persecution in, in uh, Nepal. It, it's been said that if you're baptized as a Christian in the Himalayas of Nepal, you've got a two-week life expectancy. We've, had, we've seen videos of parents trying to kill their children because their children came home and said that they'd become Christians. It's illegal to tell people about Jesus in Nepal. It's illegal to convert to Christianity in Nepal. And so to hear of these sisters who've gotten saved and then taken the initiative to get baptized and tell their family, this is big stuff. This is biblical stuff we're talking about here. And those saints have the Holy Spirit to have that courage and to have that boldness and bravery. Moving right along, these things I've told you that when the time comes, you'd remember that I told you them so that you're not off, caught off guard by the persecution. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. 
But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've told you these things, sorrow has filled your heart. This is like the third time we've had Jesus say this in the upper room discard. Like, I told you guys that I'm going away from here, and you guys are so bummed out and inwardly focused, you're forgetting that for me to go away, it means I'm bringing life to the whole world, and I get to go back to where I'm from with my Father in his presence. You should be happy for me, chapter 14 told us. But the disciples are kind of like the, you know, the tourist that goes to visit the pyramids and instead of taking pictures of the pyramids, they take pictures of themselves, selfies in front of the pyramids, and they don't even see the pyramids behind them because they got themselves in the shot. They're totally missing the great thing that God is doing, this pyramid thing that God is doing because they're too focused on themselves. And so there's a little rebuke there towards them. Verse 7 Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Can you believe that Jesus says, hey guys, I'm promising you. Look me in the eye. I'm telling you the truth. It's actually better that I go away. How could it possibly ever be better for Jesus to leave one-on-one, hand-to-hand relationship with us living here on the earth. How could it be better that Jesus leave? What could possibly be better than just hanging out with Jesus every day one-on-one? Well, because Jesus knows that as he's fully God and fully man, that fully man part of him could only be in one place at one time. And there's a whole world to reach. So he says, I'm going to go away. There's a little song that our girls have been singing. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back like a boomerang. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. And Jesus is like, I'm going to come back, right? But I'm also going to leave. And while I'm away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send... Okay, we'll stop doing that. Like, it's fun the first 12 times, but... I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And He's going to be in each one of you. And he's going to empower you with the same power I had when I was in Galilee. And greater works than these you shall do. And we study this, not necessarily in the craziness of the works, but certainly in the scope of the works. And so because Christians for 2,000 years have been filled with the Spirit and sent out as Christians. Did you know that Christian means little Christ. All these little Christs going out, started in Jerusalem, went out into the region of Samaria and Judea, went out from from there up into Asia and Asia Minor, and then into Europe, spread across Europe, spread down into Africa. And praise the Lord, here we are on the other side of the world, 2,000 years later, just a bunch of crazy barbarian folk worshiping Jesus here. You know why? Because it was better that Jesus ascended and sent the Holy Spirit. And just like that, the wildfire of of the gospel spread across the world. Adam, you and the worship team want to come on up? I'm like four minutes over, guys. Sorry about that. Verse 8 says, And when he is come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Here's more of the job description of what the Holy Spirit does. He brings a guilty conscience to the world about their sin. Three three categories here. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then Jesus breaks it down for us. What do you mean, Lord? Well, I mean, verse 9, he'll convict the world of sin because they don't believe in me. It's a sin. It's an evil heart that does not believe in God. And so the Holy Spirit comes and he impresses upon the heart a guilty conscience. Like the psalmist says, when I'm living in sin, I make my couch swim. Have you guys ever been with a guilty conscience and you can't rest? You're just nervous, restless leg syndrome. Or the psalmist also says, I drench my bed with tears when I've got a guilty conscience. 
That's the work of the Holy Spirit, not letting us get away with stuff. He convicts the world of righteousness in verse 10, because I go to my father and you see me, see me no more. When Jesus ascended to the father, he fulfilled the great work of righteousness and then imparts righteousness to the world through the good news of the gospel. That third thing in verse 11 of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so what the Holy Spirit does is that he convicts sinners that one day they will face judgment for their sin. And that moves sinners towards repentance and towards life in Christ Jesus. In Acts chapter 24 verse 25, Paul reasoned with Felix, a Roman governor, and he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. As you're preaching the gospel to people, reason with them about sin, about righteousness, about the judgment to come. Verse 12, we're wrapping up here. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Guess what? I have many things to say to you guys right now, but you can't bear it anymore. I can tell. Okay. However, oh, here Jesus goes again. You thought Jesus was done. He ain't done. When he, the spirit of truth, so another name for the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth come, he will guide you into all truth. But he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. Now, immediate context there is to the disciples. They didn't have Bibles yet. They were going to be going out and starting churches. The Holy Spirit was going to lead them into all truth. There's immediate application for those guys then and there. There's also application for us now, but not in some existential way. You guys, you have no place of being off on your own, getting your own truth for yourself that counters the Bible. But, you know, you had some encounter with God in the forest on a, you know, on a nature walk or something. And so now you know more than the Bible. Sorry. Okay. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, but it's not apart from the Bible. He's going to direct you towards the Bible now. He's going to be reminding you of the Bible now. Okay. And something else he'll do. Verse 14. We're only reading through 15 here. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So job description of the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. And verse 15. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. You guys can set your things aside. The Holy Spirit. What a gift he is to us. What a gift. I remember my friend Adam Poole teaching about the Holy Spirit 15 years ago. And one thing he just said is, there is not a thing that we can do well without the Holy Spirit. You got a rusty bolt that you're trying to undo? Petition for the Holy Spirit. Trying to get that document written up for work? Do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Something that some of my homies and I are realizing is that when we've got feisty young yearling heifers that are trying to run away from us in a field and our horses can't outmaneuver them and can't get them in and they're jumping fences and they're running off and it's getting frustrated and curse words are thrown around in the side. We finally come around and we just say, let's pray. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would help us get this crazy minded animal where it needs to go. And like every time the Lord is so faithful, Adam has been there with me. Like, have you heard about the latest thing in stockmanship? Calling out for the Holy Spirit to help. Piece of equipment broke down. Call out for the Holy Spirit to help. I'm telling you guys. The other day, I woke up. I was sick. I had to to get cabinets tore out so cabinets could come in. I had to rip out plumbing. I had all kinds of stuff. I'm sick. I chugged like cough syrup the night before and took melatonin, which a half of a kid's pill knocks me out. But it was two in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I got to take this melatonin. I woke up the next morning. I'm just like... 
And I'm like tearing out flooring and cabinets and taking it out to the dump trailer. And the Lord was just like, this is going to be a really painfully long day if you're going to try to do this on your own. Remember what Adam said about the rusty bolt can't even be turned without the power of the Holy Spirit? Why don't you appeal to me? And I'm out on the street with a trash can that size over there, set up against a dump trailer. I need you, Lord. I need you so bad. And I just felt like, like it literally was just at the moment, like a new man just went about it just with joy. And you guys, I'm just telling you, meeting with marriages lately, this week, had a guy that doesn't even go to our church, just popped in and is like, my marriage is over unless I get help. Will you meet with me? Met with him and his wife, and I'm just trying to tell them about, you can't do it without Jesus. You can't do it without the power of the Spirit. And I'm begging them to appeal to the Holy Spirit. And you guys, today, whatever it is, you guys, there's, I mean, look at all the people around here. There are so many different witnesses that are, you got friends and relationships and families and people are hurting and people are dying and people are divorcing and people are separated and people are hurting and guys, look at this world. It is like Chris Newell was like a year and a half ago. He's like, don't worry, Rory. I grew up during the Vietnam war in the sixties and stuff. Like it got bad. We ain't seen anything like that yet. This year he's like, we need to pray. <laughs> Nam had nothing on us, you know, just, just kidding. But he was like, this is bad. So what do we do as Christians? I'll tell you what, get on Facebook. Just read articles. I'm going to have a better article than your article. It's like, guys, we can never win. The world knows how to play that way. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Will you guys cry out for the Holy Spirit with me today? Adam, why don't you put your guitar down, bro? Oh, you need this? Oh, you know. I knew that. Let's pray. If you want the Holy Spirit today in your life, for everything concerning life and godliness, for salvation from sins, for power to be a bold witness to tell the world about Jesus, to shine like a light, to be the husband that God's called you to be, the wife that God's called you to be, the kid that God's called you to be, to be the, the employer, the employee, whatever career that you're in, whatever it is. Like, guys, we have God within us to empower us. The hope of glory, my friends. And if that's you today and you want the Holy Spirit, more of the Holy Spirit in your life, I'm going to ask that you would stand with me and just say, Rory, pray for me today that I can have not power on my own, but power from above. That I can have the promise of the Father. That I can have the helper, the comforter, the spirit of truth that I would know how to stand for him in this dark world. And Lord, here we are. Here we are, Lord, Christians, little Christs, here to represent you in this day. We may be like the Esters, that for such a time as this, you've called us to rise up. You've called us to be your people. You've called us to bring hope into a world that has no hope. And Lord, how quickly we just get myopic and focused on the task at hand and the problem in front of us and the frustrations and and our flesh just rises up and tries to war. But you say that the battle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against principalities and powers, spiritual things and heavenly places. And to be able to fight in such a battle, we need weapons of warfare that are not carnal, but that are mighty in God and pulling down strongholds. So Lord, we pray for that great, powerful one today. The secret weapon, the secret power 
the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for not leaving us as orphans. Thank you for sending the comforter. And right now, I'm just going to lift my hands up. And if you want to lift your hands up with me in just a posture of receiving. Right now, Lord, we pray as a church. Pour out your spirit upon us. We need you so desperately. There's a million ways that we need you. Fill us up for every one of those. For the person here today that came to this park dry, desolate, feeling so distant from you. Right now, Lord, as they would stand and raise their hand, Lord, would you fill them up, Lord? As they lean into Jesus for forgiveness of sin, would you just speak to their heart a confidence that they are forgiven? They don't need to worry. They don't need to sit in condemnation. They don't need to allow the guilty conscience to plague them anymore because they found forgiveness in Jesus. Lord, let them rejoice in that today. And for that person, Lord, that they would now find fresh future, fresh hope, fresh vision, fresh power to live for you. Lord, pour out your spirit as we close in song right now. We thank you that the the rumor around town about our church is that we're a living church. We're an alive church. All glory goes to you, Lord. Pour out more life and power on us as we worship you. Let's close with this last song. Go ahead.